All right. Ready to go on? Ready. Okay. Last October, Prairie Rivers Network hosted our first ever virtual annual dinner, where we got to celebrate the year's accomplishments with our members. Every year, we hear from change makers and advocates for the environment, and our 2020 annual dinner, although virtual, was no different. In this episode of Stories from the Floodplain, we share our dinner keynote address from Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali, the Vice President of Environmental Justice, Climate, and Community Resilience for the National Wildlife Federation. He discusses the legacy and continuing stain of environmental racism, and how our actions now, during a time of incredible challenges, could bring justice and equity to communities across the country. A special thank you to Dr. Ali for inspiring and sharing his words at our annual dinner. Let's begin. Hi everyone, it's Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali. I, I wanna thank you for allowing me to join you for just a few minutes uh, for your annual dinner. Uh, thank you to Prairie Rivers Network. Thank you to the board. Thank you to all the uh, affiliates and partners who come together to make real change happen. And also thank you, big, big thank you to Elliot Brinkman. Thank you for your leadership. Uh, thank you also for understanding the evolution that's necessary for any organization to be a 21st century organization. You know, we have a huge set of challenges that are in front of us, but we also know that we have an even larger set of opportunities that, you know, can help us to move in a very positive direction. You know, we're dealing with COVID-19 and the challenges that we find in that space as millions of folks have found themselves infected and, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives that have been lost. We're dealing with the impacts of climate change, both here in this moment uh, and in the future. And we've seen, you know, just the amazing floods that are happening and the wildfires and the hurricanes that continue to batter our Gulf Coast. And we also know that we have to address systemic racism um, and how many of the choices that were made in the past have found ripples uh, into the moments that we find ourselves in, but that together we have the ability to actually make real change happen. The sins of the past do not have to be the sins of the future. And that's gonna take hard work. It's gonna take each and every one of us coming together and all of these issues come together in the work that we do in the environmental space and conservation work and climate work and civil rights, social justice, workers' rights, all of these things are a part of this new paradigm that we can build together to move forward on change. And to move forward, we have to understand that you know, policy and the decisions that folks have made have got us to this moment. You know, there have been some great things that have happened, but we've also had some very tragic sets of actions that have happened in the past. You know, whether we're talking about indigenous brothers and sisters being removed from their land, taken away from their traditional foods, the uh, sometimes erosion of culture, or if we're talking about African slaves being brought to this country and doing some of the most dangerous work and also being taken away from culture. You know, we often talk about culture and how important it is in the environmental context, in the conservation context, uh, of how we want to protect, you know, beautiful and important spaces, how we want to hold on to some of those things that make us who we are, that make our communities who they are. We also have to realize that, you know, our Asian American and Pacific Islander brothers and sisters have also played a significant role in helping us to get to this moment. 
You know, infrastructure is a conversation that lots of people are having. Many of us have conversations around natural infrastructure and how important it is to us being able to move forward, to helping to protect us, but also to create a set of opportunities. So our, we have to give it up to our Chinese brothers and sisters who played a role in building our railroads. And in many instances, in a very dangerous set of situations, but they, you know, they stuck in there no matter what the obstacles were and played a role along with others in helping to make real change happen. And we should also be very honest as we are moving forward on change and calling out the fact that we have created sacrifice zones across our country. I've actually begun to evolve in my own thinking about that. You know, we have sacrifice zones where we put everything that nobody else wants. Whether we're talking about coal-fired power plants or incinerators or waste treatment facilities, or we're talking about, you know, uh, dilapidated housing or a number of different things that go into that. We have made some choices through policy because policy drives lots of our work and some of this decision-making that has happened. If we look at our transportation policies, there has been biases, there's been discrimination, there has been racism in that. We know that roads have been used to break up communities, to bring wealth to certain communities and dump off pollution in other communities. We know when we look at our housing policies that, you know, there have been those times where affordable housing, lower income housing has been placed in places like floodplains and been placed next to some of the most dangerous, you know, toxic facilities that are out there. Those were choices that people made. We don't have to make those same choices moving forward because when we have these sacrifice zones, we know that then people are exposed to these toxins at higher levels, at disproportionate levels. And we know that when that happens for African-American people, for Latinx brothers and sisters, for lower wealth white communities, and for indigenous brothers and sisters, that we get these, these conditions, these public health impacts that happen that cause long-term chronic medical conditions. Everything from liver and kidney disease to cancer clusters, Two, even we find these lung diseases that are also a part of being exposed to this. And that's a part of our work in trying to figure out how we are going to change those dynamics. Because in this COVID-19 moment, we also know that if you have been uh, one of those folks who have these long-term chronic medical conditions, that it makes you more vulnerable to COVID-19. And we know that communities of color are even more at risk more likely for hospitalizations, four and a half times more likely than the general population, two and a half more times likely to actually be hospitalized and two and a half more times to actually lose their lives. And we know that there is a connection between air pollution and those exposure rates. And we also know from the work that many of us do that that air pollution that has been making black and brown communities sick is also playing a role in the warming up of our oceans and of our planet and causing many of these climate emergencies, these climate crises that we find ourselves in. And for those who maybe haven't been as focused on the public health impacts, we also know studies that came out last year that link, you know, the air pollution that many people have been dealing with that is now in our national parks. Over 90% of our national parks are dealing with significant air pollution in a number of different ways. And we also know, as I've often said, and I know many of you probably also have an understanding of this, that that same air pollution, 
that is making black and brown communities sick and shortening their lives is also playing a role, you know, in what's going on in many of our forests. It's also playing a role, you know, in the impacts that are happening with wildlife. You know, it's amazing. The uh, United Nations had a report that came out talking about biodiversity and how we are right now at a point where we could lose a million species. Now, I grew up in Appalachia and a little bit in Michigan and spent a lot of time, uh, you know, as a youth, you know, out in the woods, hunting, fishing, uh, hiking, you know, camping, all the things that, that many people find value in, but not only valuing, but also gives you an opportunity to connect to something larger than yourself. And it also gives you a chance to disconnect from all the noise. Some of you will understand what I say when I'm, and what I mean by that is that we live in this world where there is just so much information that is coming at us constantly and there's so much noise that sometimes you just need to be able to take a break. And when we don't protect our natural spaces, we are taking away the opportunity for ourselves and for future generations to actually have that place where you can disconnect, that place where you can reconnect with the things that actually matter, whether it is family or with a higher power or whatever it is, we have to make sure that we are protecting that. And that's why I make sure that folks understand that when we're not focused on what's happening in black and brown communities in urban centers or in other locations, like in Cancer Alley between Baton Rouge and uh, down in New Orleans, or the folks who are in the Manchester community in Houston, Texas, uh, or the 48217 in Detroit, one of the most polluted zip codes. And when kids look out their windows, they don't get to see what you and I saw when, they, when we were growing up. You know, when I looked out my windows, you know, I got a chance to see trees and green space and farmland. And these kids, when they look out the window, they get to see piping. They get to see facilities. And of course, there is a connection between what those kids are seeing and what they're breathing and what's going on in our natural spaces as well. So we have work to do, but together we can actually make real change happen. We can make sure that we have administrations, whether on the federal level, the state level, the county level, even on the local level, where there are folks who get it and they're committed to actually making sure that we have the policies in place, that we have legislation that is going to help to make sure that the things that we've found value in are always there and at the same time also making sure that we are protecting the lives of our citizens. To me, that's just common sense. I'm a country boy. I don't pretend to be anything else than that. And I believe in common sense. And common sense to me means that these blessings that God has given us and we have a responsibility for actually protecting, then we should actually do that. And for me, your vote plays a role in that. I never tell anybody who to vote for, but I do say vote for somebody who cares about what's going on in your community. And of course, vote for somebody who has the, the forethought to, to know the impacts that are coming and is trying to figure out how do we mitigate that? How do we navigate these challenges that we're going to face and how do we flip it? How do we change and, and move these challenges into a set of opportunities? where we can help to make sure that those who've been looking for a job or those who are in existing jobs that are fading away have a new set of opportunities. And it's very doable because folks are already doing it. The question is, how quickly can we expand it? How quickly can we make sure that there's really justice in there and inclusion as a part of that to make sure that nobody gets left behind? That's why a just transition is so incredibly important because a just transition 
means that we are honoring those who have worked in certain industries in the past and making sure that they have a new set of opportunities and those who, for whatever reason, weren't a part of the work stream, they're now in it. And not only are they in it, but we're honoring them and making sure that a number of sets of opportunities are going on. We know the new clean economy is gonna create millions upon millions upon millions of new jobs. The question is, where are those jobs gonna go? What are they gonna look like? And how do we help them to really be anchored um, in the direction that our country is going to go? And that's so incredibly important when we look at water quality issues. You know, once again, it doesn't make any sense to weaken regulations that are there to make sure that folks actually have the opportunity to have clean and pristine water. Here's the amazing thing. We got 2.2 million people in our country who don't even have access to water and sewage. Think about that for a moment. We got folks who don't even have that ability. I remember when I was growing up in Appalachia and driving into certain places and seeing, you know, and stopping and having conversations with folks who are friends or family, you know, and, and folks not having that access. This is 2020. There is no reason that folks living in our country, and hopefully we can get it across the, across the planet, wouldn't have access to clean water. Now, we have a whole lot of different violations that happen every year, but we can put mechanisms in place to help people to get what they need to make sure they're living up to whatever it is, the letter of the law, or just making sure that they have confidence. You know, when they turn the tap on that something good is coming out. We can make sure that we never have another Flint, Michigan situation by one, honoring the voices of communities and the intelligence that is inside of those communities. And two, making sure that we have governments that are reflective of the needs of people. That's for a deeper conversation, but you know, we can make sure that we're having that. And the reason we have to have these real conversations, even in the air context, we have 100,000 people in our country who are dying prematurely from air pollution every year in our country. That's the conservative number. Once again, we live in the United States of America. How is it that we got 100,000 people who are dying prematurely and we got folks who are trying to roll back stuff like <laughs> the clean car rule? I mean, where you have more money in your pocket because you get better gas mileage and less pollution coming out the tailpipe. Again, where I come from, that's just common sense. You know, and you have folks who are trying to get rid of the clean power plan. There's nothing wrong with looking at, you know, pieces of legislation or statutes or whatever it is and saying, how can we make sure that more people are protected? That should be the baseline, right? How are more folks going to be protected? How is Mr. Johnson going to be protected? How is Mrs. Ramirez going to be protected? How is Mr. O'Leary going to be protected? So we have to make sure that we got folks who are actually are concerned with what's going on in people's lives, what's going on in our natural spaces, what's going on in, in protecting wildlife. And we have a responsibility there because we have experiences, we have access, and we have brains. <laughs> Imagine that God gave us brains. And that means that there's an expectation that we're gonna actually use those, but we also know that we have a responsibility to be our brother and our sister's keeper. Think about that for a second. Many of us grow up with that. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? And are we actually living up to that set of expectations that are basic? I'd say that we can and we will, and that some folks are already doing it. Folks are looking out for folks. But we got to have more. We got to have so many more. You know, it's interesting. I've been super blessed and I'm thankful, you know, to have been raised in a faith based family, to have been 
mentored by civil rights leaders and environmental leaders and a number of other folks who have all come together. And I've also been blessed to, to be exposed to some really critical information. And I'll leave this with you all. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King shared with us one time, you know, he had a number of very famous speeches that folks will quote and a number of, of other things that he shared that, that people hold on to. And one of those things is what I just want to share with you. And I hope you'll think about it, you know, as you're going through the dinner, but far beyond that, you know, in your work, when you take a look at your organizations, you ask the question, does my organization look like America? In your priority setting, does the sets of priorities that we're putting in place actually look like 21st century America? And, and how we engage with resources and where resources go and, and where we take resources from. Do you, will we feel good about that process? Has that process got equity in it? Is justice a part of that process? Dr. King said that we come to these shores in different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. Just think about that for a second, because we truly are all in the same boat. And we think about COVID-19, you know, so many different types of folks are being impacted by COVID-19. We're all in the same boat. If you think about the impacts that are happening from environmental pollution, if you think about the impacts that are happening from climate change, you know, we're all in the same boat. When a flood comes through, when a forest fire happens, when a hurricane hits, we all come together. And we say, you know, what do I need to do to help that person to get out of that house that they've been trapped because the water is rising? Or that fire is raging. And I know that, you know, Mrs. Smith, who's an elder, doesn't move as well as she used to. So let's make sure that we're checking in and making sure that she gets out and that we get her to a safe space. That is that mindset of we're all in the same boat. And even in dealing with the dismantling of systemic racism, if you look at many of the folks who've been out protesting and working, it is white brothers and sisters and African-American folks and Latinx folks and indigenous folks and Asian folks and LGBTQ folks, everyone coming together and saying that the 21st century, we have a responsibility to make sure that it looks different, that it is actually embracing all the folks who are in our country and that we are no longer going to be silent about injustices. And that all ties into our work because if we want to win on climate change, if we want to protect our natural spaces, if we want to protect biodiversity, then it's going to take everyone because the challenges are large, but the set of opportunities are even greater. I want to thank you all so much for a few minutes of your time. I know that together we can make real change happen, but we've got to have accountability in that process. We can't be on the sidelines. We can't make an assumption, well, that's those folks issue over there or that's those folks issue over there. These are our issues, but we also know that these are our solutions. And if we create real, collaborative, authentic partnerships, we can get it done. I'm Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali. Thank you all for your advocacy and thank you all for your time. There is not one single solution to the challenges we face. And every issue we face is interconnected. That is why environmentalists cannot sit idly by, and why it's imperative for us to address years of systemic racism and injustice that has historically been ignored. The journey will take time, 
but it is starting in the right direction. Thank you to Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali for his leadership, his calls to action. And thank you for your continued support. See you next time.